they set me up to, to kind of do the right thing. I think in the middle of all of that, I ended up dropping out of university. So I did one year at university and then dropped out at the end of my first year. And like six months after that, we won the University of London as a as a client. And so I've had, and by no no connection of like me having been there or anything else, just coldly through the website. And so I've had all these, and I've had a number of these kind of quite weird, but um, they almost feel like a, a torch in the ground that kind of saying you're heading in the right direction. G'day folks, Troy Dean here. And that is the voice of Alex Price, who is founder and managing director of 93 Digital in the UK. They are the London WordPress agency, or at least that's how they refer to themselves. And in fact, Alex has been referring to the company as the London WordPress agency when it was just him and he was a 19-year-old freelancer. We unpack that Uh, We also talk about growing a team, scaling up and going after larger clients. We talk about content marketing, filtering out clients who are not a good fit, honing in on your specialty and staying in your sweet spot and a whole bunch of other things that go along with growing an agency from one person to now a team of 15 and winning a whole bunch of awards and generally being regarded as one of the premium WordPress agencies on the planet. This is a fabulous, fabulous interview. It does go for a little bit longer than our usual interviews just because I was enjoying the conversation so much and getting so much out of it. I hope you've got your pen and paper ready because there are tons of notes you can be making in this interview. There is lots to learn. So let's go and meet Alex Price. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation with another episode of the WP Elevation podcast and I'm very excited to have with me all the way from the UK, Alex Price from 93 Digital. Hey Alex, how are you doing? Hey Troy, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show and it is pretty early morning where you are right now, isn't it? It is. It's 7 a.m. 7 a.m. That's not too offensive. That's okay. (laughs) It's not too bad. I'm normally up at about 6 anyway, so uh, yeah, it's quite normal for me. Good, good. Uh, Now, for those that don't know, uh, who is Alex Price and what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Um, So I am the founder and MD of a London-based WordPress agency called 93 Digital. Um, We are uh, as I say, London-based in the heart of London in, in Farringdon, Chancery Lane, in the, in the middle of the city. Um, and we are a specialist WordPress agency. So um, uh, that's kind of who I am and what I do. The question is to what I'm doing here. Um, maybe hard to answer. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a big esoteric question, isn't it? It's a, it's a philosophical it question. Um <laughs> The how did you how did you I, I kind of re, was revisiting some old episodes of the podcast recently that I haven't listened to for a long time and there were a series of questions that I used to ask at the start of each episode of the podcast which I think I might revisit just for fun. Um, how different uh, is what you're doing now to what you imagined you'd be doing when you were a kid? Oh wow, 
Um, <laughs> I think I, there was no plan at all to end up doing what I'm doing now, I think, as a kid. Um, I think the story of how I ended up in in this world was that I, I've always kind of really valued my independence, I guess, is probably the best way of putting it. And, and when I was quite quite young and a teenager, I really, really wanted to have my own source of income, I guess, as a, as a priority. And um, I ended up finding web development, I guess, as a, as a, as a skill and something that I kind of enjoyed and was just interested in and ended up just doing like seven pound an hour or jobs through Elance at the time, which I think is now Upwork and mm-hmm. People Per Hour and those kind of freelance job sites. Wow. Um, and have literally just climbed a very slow ladder from seven pound an hour or jobs to 200 pound, 200 pound an hour set up this WordPress theme for me to 2000 pound build this website for me to 20,000 pound and more kind of proper projects now as an agency um, over the last five years or so. So it's awesome. been uh, a bit of a journey. Uh, I'm gonna. There's lots to unpack there, and I intend to unpack as much as I can in the time that we have together. Um, but let's just take a step back for a minute. Do you remember the first time you started using WordPress? I do. Yeah. So when I, I think when I started working, I was uh, I was working on a lot of different CMSs, a lot of different tools, products. Some just kind of static HTML sites, some Joomla, some WordPress, a bit of Drupal, some uh, kind of proprietary licensed CMSs, and. And I just remember always coming back to WordPress and WordPress always being the one that the clients really enjoyed using the most. Um, And so at the time when I first started out, there was no kind of WordPress specialism. I was kind of jack of all trades that if you gave me your seven pounds an hour, I was happy to do whatever you wanted me to do. Mm. Um, And then realized that WordPress was growing and I enjoyed using it and I enjoyed developing with it and my clients enjoyed using it and, and it was really easy for them. And um, so it must have been in kind of, uh, I'm trying to think when it was in terms of a year, but it, I would have thought kind of late 2000 and noughties somewhere mm-hmm. um, uh, when I really first properly started digging into it. So uh, maybe the last kind of eight, nine years or so. And was there a moment when you decided, this is it, I'm going all in on WordPress and I'm going to become a WordPress specialist and just ignore everything else? Yeah, so I think that was probably when we uh, first started, or just before we became a proper agency as such, which I, I can talk a bit more about kind of yeah. when that point really was. But um, I think uh, it, it's the one thing that I come across in agency environments and collectives that we're members of here in London. And I meet a lot of small agencies who are kind of two people, five people, and they've never really broken beyond that barrier. And, and some of them don't want to, which is cool, but but a lot of them do. And and they kind of scratch their heads as to why. And you go on the website and it's like, we do forums, we do email marketing, we do SEO, we do social media, we do websites. And really the only, only thing that differentiates them at that point is is cost. And, mm-hmm. and they're just stuck in this this race to the bottom in terms of how they sell their work. And, yeah. and so I realized quite quickly that a specialism was the way to go. And I thought about kind of an industry or sector specialism um, but but kind of decided on a, a more technical specialism uh, initially, which has really served as well and, and been a big driver of our growth over the last few years. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, if you visit 93digital.co.uk, the headline, which I'm assuming you're not split testing, so it might be the same for everyone, the headline is The London WordPress Agency, and the is in italics, uh, emphasis added. 
Um, so you're making a statement that you are the London WordPress agency. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about that in some detail in a moment. But first of all, at what point do you say, okay, I'm just not going to be a freelancer on Elance anymore. I'm going to uh, – I'm assuming that you are the founder of 93 Digital uh, and that you don't yeah. have business partners, so you've got staff, right? So at what point do you say, all right, I need to hire some people to build this with me? Yeah, so the, the the London WordPress agency tagline has been with us since long before we were even ever close to being the London WordPress agency. Um, it was literally the tagline when it was just me. Um, so it was probably a bit of a, a naive but bolshy move to try and uh, position ourselves. And yeah, we, we, we definitely weren't an agency and it was just me and, and the business is, is still owned 100% by myself. So the point at which we, we began to grow the team was when we won I think like a 21,000 pound project or something back in about four years ago. And, um, yeah, at the time that seemed like a huge project. Mm. Um, now that's probably a, just about our minimum project size. Um, and I hired two people full time off the back of that one project, which again, if you, if you spoke to our board advisors now would, would probably tell you that that was insane. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in hindsight, it probably was insane. But yeah, we, we brought on a, a kind of full-time developer and a full-time designer who also did a bit of development because um, I just knew that with the other stuff we had going on, there was no way that I could deliver all of this stuff on my own. Um, and yeah, after kind of three or four months of that project being delivered and a nice bit of income and a few invoices being raised over those four months, it was like, okay, now we're starting to run out of things to do and we could do with some other things. And there was definitely a point in which I thought, I'm too young for this. Like, like, why am I bothering? Why don't I just be a freelancer, enjoy my life, and get to travel, the pub. <laughs> whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was 19, 20 at the time. Whoa, and, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like all my friends were just about getting into university and living like lifestyles that were just a world away from, from what mine was. And, um, yeah, there was definitely a few moments where I was just like, is this worth it? Is this the right time? Um, and I don't know what happened, but now there's 15 of us full time, and um, wow. things have kind of definitely gone in the right direction. Why, why does a 19 year old go? Okay, I've just won this 21. First of all, how does a 19 year old win a 21,000 dollar, 21,000 pound web project? How did that happen? Uh, so we were, and part of our positioning was always from a marketing and and somewhat SEO perspective too. So if you search for anything to do with London and WordPress, we're hopefully number one, but near the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of our initial work had come in through that as a channel. Um, and someone just filled out a contact form one day and it was that project and we had a few meetings and wow. somehow, I, I think in hindsight, we were, we were probably underselling ourselves somewhat and it was, we were still cheaper than a lot of the other quotes that they got. Yeah. Um, but at the time it felt like a big, big project for us and we were small enough to be able to do a good job of it, but also be cheaper. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to win it. And then, so why does a nineteen-year-old at that point say, "I oh, know"? Instead of just hiring some other freelancers to help me get through this project, which is pretty low risk, I'm going to hire yeah. a couple of people full time as employees. Uh, naivety, maybe. <laughs> but it's, um, but at that know. point, I, you must have gone, "Well, this is a thing now. This is a company. Like, this isn't going to be the only project. We're going to do this again, and and so I'm going to need full time staff, and there's going to be more projects yeah. to keep them busy." And you must have felt like you were backing yourself. Yeah, I think I think so. I, I kind of wish, and I always get asked these questions, and I wish I'd had I'd kept some kind of diary or just thought a bit more about what I was thinking at that time as I made those decisions. Because mm. you know, I think even just six months before, I barely knew what an agency was, and I used to, I used to go on London agency websites and 
count the team page and be like, so there's 25 heads. They must be on an average salary of like, I don't know, 35,000 pounds. How many websites are they doing for like 3,000 pounds to make that work? That's mm. insane. I, like the whole model just made absolutely zero sense to me. Mm. Um, and it was so alien. But I, I think, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there was enough other stuff going on as well that I, I felt like, you know, it, it wasn't just this one project that really they were hired off the back of. There was there was plenty of other smaller things happening too. Um, but still, yeah, I, I mean, I guess in hindsight, if I'd taken good advice from better people, they may have said, hire some freelancers to see through this project and see how it goes. Um, but I, I just wasn't kind of surrounded by those people at the time and ended up going for, for two people full time. A uh, great quote reminds me of a great quote from uh, Bono, the singer of the band U2. Uh, he said, when you're young, you feel like you can take on the world and sometimes yeah. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely true. And, I, and I, I, again, I mean, a lot of agency owners now or people that have worked as designers or in other agencies for like five, ten years and now they want to start their own thing. And I often think like I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been able to, have done what I've done when really I had very little overheads. I was still a student at university. It didn't cost me anything to live. There was no mortgage. There was no kids. And I do kind of think like if I, if I was to try and do the same in five, 10 years time, would I, would I even be able to, would I be able to kind of deliver work at at lower costs and without Mm. paying myself much just to gain that initial traction? Mm. Um, So I think, yeah, definitely when you're, when you're younger, there's a, there's a lot less to lose, but actually when you're in the moment, it doesn't feel like there's any less, to lose like mm. your your kind of your pride your dignity your what other people think of you um is even more intertwined with your work and i think for me it's been it's it's been and has become even more of a, a massive part of my identity so people know me as that guy that runs that agency and and it's really hard to separate out me as just a human being as a normal guy to to me the guy that runs this this company and so mm. you know if i have a bad day at work and go and see some friends they'll know I've had a bad day at work. If I've had a really good day at work, you know, it's really hard to to find that line of separation and to balance out kind of a normal life uh, with a a work life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's actually one of the things I love about small business is that it's it's such a personal thing that you bring – most business owners I know bring their self into the business. The problem with that is that you then end up taking the business home (laughs) into your life as well. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, I think it's just something that I work on a lot and, and try and, you know, exercise and a bit of meditation, although I don't do it enough, but just really trying to find a balance, I think is so key because it just, it's not scalable. Otherwise it, it won't last. You won't be able to kind of have a healthy and balanced life. For, it might last a year, it might last a couple of years, but you'll just hit burnout at some point. I yeah. Think. 100%. Um, so 19-year-old employs a couple of people, starts building an agency. How do you know what to do next in terms of project management and like resource allocation and account management and deal flow and cash flow and all that kind of stuff like how do you figure it out i think looking back i just i i wasn't doing a lot of that and it was there was a fair pinch of common sense being thrown into the the recipe and and uh, i think i was always i've always considered myself quite good at just talking to people reading learning and kind of taking in almost kind of mimicking but hopefully doing a little bit better mm-hmm. um, and I think I've, I've always been quite receptive to what other people are doing and being able to kind of replicate that in, in a way um, so I think I started to get involved in groups there's a group here in the UK called the Agency Collective which is um, must be a few hundred agencies in there now but most of them are kind of a little bit smaller maybe sub a million pound turnover as businesses but um, everything from PR to social media to marketing few you know some other WordPress guys in there um 
communities like that were, were kind of helpful. Um, but I think there was a lot of things which I just realized I needed to do when it was too late. Um, I think project management was a, a huge one for us. And I realized that we were just in this flow of kind of me winning the work and then me delivering the work and me winning the work. And, and, and there was this kind of wave shape diagram of that was reflected in our accounts and, and finances. And I just knew that I had to get away from basic day to day delivery to be able to, to get past that. And so those investments for me, and I, I've just always had this belief that if you're going to hire people to do something, they have to be better than you uh, at what they're doing. And I know it's really obvious and it, it kind of sounds cliche, but I, Again, I see so many agencies just bringing in like the graduate developer that they reckon they can bring up to speed in three months and then leave to do a project. And it's just, it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, and, and so for, for project management, that was a big first hire for us. And it was at a salary that I felt uncomfortable with and it felt slightly out of reach. But I just knew that the difference between this person and this salary and someone that was on, you know, 30% less was that they had the framework, they'd been in the agency environment, they had the documents, the templates, they just had everything to roll out. Mm. Um, but the thing with hiring first roles like that is that it's kind of, by the time you realize you need them, you're probably already mm. two months behind yourself. Yeah. By the time you found them, it's another two or three months. By the time they've actually had an effect on your business, it's probably another three months minimum. So you can quite quickly hit nine months to a year before that kind of role has opened up and, and gained traction. So I'm always pushing other agencies I meet to just really think as far ahead as possible about who they need and, and the hires that they need. Um, obviously, it's all relative to, to cash flow and what you can afford at the time. But mm. I think if you've got really got a vision of where you want to be and where you're going to end up, then planning those roles is, is so key. I noticed that you've got a We're Hiring page on the website. There's actually a little uh, italic tagline under the logo that says We're Hiring. Uh, current vacancies yeah. are a web developer, WordPress, uh, surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, okay, so uh, now let's just start unpacking some of this mindset stuff because um, – you, you, so you're doing, you know, seven pound an hour jobs on on Elance. Uh, you imp, you get this big job. You employ some staff. Uh, then all of a sudden, you've got to get your skates on, and you've got to st- you can't keep doing, you know, fifteen hundred dollar websites um, as we spoke about because your cash flow is just going to run out. How do you then, apart from saying we are the London WordPress agency, I'm sure there was more to it than that. How do you then get in front of you know, clients like Amnesty International and, uh, you know, the Commonwealth and uh, Telefonica and Oil and Gas and London Councils. How do you get in front of these people to begin with? Yeah, so pretty much all of those that you just named have ended up filling out our contact form as a completely cold lead. So I think that goes a long way to say how SEO and proposition and a strong website can really serve their worth. Um, I think these days, we know that the quality varies somewhat from from SEO, and obviously we still we still pull in tons of small. Can you help us set up a template? I've got a hundred dollars left. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff that we just can't service these days. But um, yeah, to begin with, a lot of the the driver was was through organic search basically, and um, we actually ended up uh, building a great piece of content marketing that that built us some really awesome backlinks, and suddenly that just gained us a lot of traction around. Um, organic SEO and we've kind of sat at the top of Google since that so you know I I guess I kind of consider myself a a marketer somewhat as well and um, although I've come from a design and development background we see our projects very much as fitting into the marketing world and and, you know we're dealing with marketing directors day to day Um, and so yeah I think we've we've always been quite active on that front and really thought hard about 
where we can gain traction. So these days, I think it's much more word of mouth and referral. And we've kind of built a reputation that that, that opens doors and, and gets us in places. And we host our own events and produce content and white papers and those kind of things. And we're a bit more, we've got a bit more resource to throw behind and, and a marketing manager working for us. Um, but yeah, in the early days, organic search was was probably the, the biggest driver for us. Wow. Um, for those of those listening to this podcast, I just want you to press pause now. I want you to rewind about two and a half minutes and I want you to listen to exactly what Alex just said again and again and again, because he just gave you the playbook as to how to differentiate yourself from every other WordPress freelancer charging seven pounds an hour on Upwork or freelance. Uh, you know, and let's just unpack the bullet points here. The too long didn't read version is uh, choose what you want to specialize in, produce some great content that you can then market for a period of time instead of producing a, ha- a haphazard blog post every day of the week, maybe produce just a great piece of content that you can really get behind for a period of time. Uh, make sure your SEO is is in place. Those incoming leads, uh, you then filter out, obviously, through some kind of intake process, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, and then yeah. I'm imagining that the quality of leads coming in, some of the names that we spoke about before, they're not coming in saying, well, Alex, I'm not really sure how you can justify these prices when we can hire a WordPress developer on Freelancer for, you know, 20 pounds an hour. I mean, I just imagine they're a higher calibre client and they know that they're dealing with an agency and they know that you've got a different set of overheads and they know that you've got a different pricing structure. So pricing probably isn't the first conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's the key difference in mindset and the way that you end up selling things is that you move very quickly beyond just selling a slider or a feature or a way of managing things in the dashboard to actually solving a problem. And I, and I know that that's, again, quite cliche in the agency world and all the debate these days around consultancies versus agencies and, and what the model of the future is. But um, unless you can go into the room and and really quite quickly understand what keeps somebody up at night and what their challenge is and how you do fits into solving that, um, you will always be in a race to the bottom in terms of costs doing production work. And I think I've never wanted to build. And I think actually where we where we've got to now, we we had the opportunity to probably grow faster than we than we have. But but in my opinion, off the off the wrong kind of work. And you know, I've never wanted to build just a sweatshop of designers and developers churning stuff out for the sake of it. The, mm. the, the type of projects that engage me are the ones that I feel like we're, we're making an impact and we're, we're solving a challenge. Um, and so we're quite selective about, you know, only taking projects these days that strategy, creativity and technology will, will come together and, and overlap. And it's that little middle bit in the, in the, in the center of the Venn diagram that we like to find a project in. Mm. Um, and really it's only, you know, clients are only willing to pay for, that level of, of service once you've proven that you've done it before. And, and that can be, sometimes it is a more technical discussion. Sometimes a marketer's biggest pain point that just keeps them up all night is I'm so worried about how I can integrate, integrate Salesforce with my WordPress site or mm. uh, HubSpot and WordPress. How do they work together? I've got no idea. I want someone that's done it before and, mm. and they can go and speak to four agencies and we're the ones with three case studies where we've done HubSpot before. And, and that can be the thing that just gets us across the line. And that's, that's the thing that for me is so fascinating about agency new business and sales is that yes, we can talk about solving these big challenges and really getting inside people's problems, but it can be the difference between just one slide in your cred deck that someone else didn't have, or one bit of functionality that you've delivered before, or one integration that you've done successfully, or one piece of design that they really, really like that can just get you that, get you across the line in front of everybody else. Um, and that's why you've got to be so active and, and execute new business 
so well and it, it to some extent it's a full-time job and it's one that I spend most of my time on these days um but yeah it, it's it's difficult to get right and it's it's such a really digging into what people make decisions on the most is is challenging sometimes. Mm. Uh, what's the intake process look like? Someone comes along, they says, okay, uh, I mean, I'm on your contact form uh, website uh, page right now. I noticed that you're asking yeah. for project budget, so you're trying to, you're qualifying people straight up front, which is a smart thing to do. They come along, yeah. uh, they give you a brief. What's the and let's say that internally you kind of get a gut feel. Hey, this is a really interesting project. What's the intake process for that client look like? Yeah, so interestingly, the, the budget field is not a required field on our form. And I'd say we probably get that filled out maybe. And it's free text, so people can write TBC or unspecified or whatever they often write. And yeah. we probably get a budget specified accurately maybe 25% of the time on that form, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit less. So once someone fills out the form, uh, we integrate with kind of HubSpot as a CRM ourselves as well. And we've got some some templates saved as email. So we can really quickly filter out the stuff that, that doesn't work for us. We've got emails that say, sorry, this is a little bit too small for us or this isn't quite the right fit and just kind of politely but um, quickly and efficiently um, move on from those things. Um, then really it's a case of on most projects we'll, we'll look to dig a bit further into the brief and, and at, at different stages when clients reach out to us, they might have a one-line email or they might have um, you know, a 50-page document as a brief. Um, and from there, the following steps often differ quite hugely too. Some are more formal RFP processes where um, there's quite clear next steps in terms of a proposal submission or maybe a chemistry meeting, then a proposal submission, then a formal pitch, and then a decision. Um, Some are just a meeting, a discussion, a coffee, a bit of a chat, and uh, maybe a a more informal proposal, and, and that's enough for them to click go on. So I think even it's quite hard to kind of identify a pattern, but even some really big businesses have quite informal kind of procurement processes and some smaller businesses have really huge formal uh, and mm. somewhat frustrating sometimes procurement processes. So, um, yeah, you, you do have to be somewhat flexible as to the process you go through to kind of to get, get something across the line. And some things happen in two weeks with a few emails back and forth and some things go quiet for two months and they come back once they've dealt with some internal issue or... GDPR has happened and they can focus on their next project or whatever it is, yeah. um, which we had, a, we had a lot of this year. Mm. Uh, did I hear incorrectly before or did you mention the word chemistry meeting? Yeah, so it's I guess it's a bit of an old school term maybe. Um, mm. oh, I haven't heard it before but I love it so much. <laughs> I'm totally stealing it. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I think I've, used, I've heard uh, – Tissue meeting heard as well. I don't know whether you've heard that one, but oh. but tissue meeting, chemistry meeting, kind of a – I guess it's like an early stage – just sit in a room and see if there's scope for you to work together. And I think that we recognize too that a successful client agency relationship is all about the relationship. And mm. ultimately, if, if I, and, and it has happened where I've gone into meetings or proposals and kind of pitch meetings and just felt like these guys are so far away from us as a business and they're just going to be a complete nightmare. And, and it, really at that point you have to ask yourself some really tough questions as to whether or not the money is worth it at that point and where is it going to lead to and which doors is it going to open and and ultimately i think if we look at the numbers of all the projects that we've done the the clients that are difficult that we don't kind of align with as as an organization really well and get on with really well we don't end up delivering really good projects on time profitably and you know the, the whole relationship for, for our team internally just feels 
stressful and, and I have a responsibility for our, you know, the people that are at the coalface, the designers, the project managers, people dealing with clients all day that if I see them getting ready for a call and about to jump on, on Skype or something and you can just get that sense of like, oh, don't want to be speaking to these guys, which doesn't happen often these days, but but does happen occasionally. Mm. Um, you know, in the long term, I don't think you can build a sustainable and healthy team off the back of your team just constantly dreading going on to speak to a certain client. Um, mm. But obviously the balance of that is that we're in the client services industry and that we're a service provider and that we have to accept that um, – we have to provide a really good level of service and we're not going to get on with everybody perfectly. Um, and clients have a right to be demanding to some extent. Um, <laughs> it's just finding, finding a balance between the two and being realistic about, you know, who you work with and whether they're a good fit for you as a, in terms of your values or just, just how you run as a business. Sure. Uh, so I just want to switch gears a little bit and pick your brain about your WordPress development retainers and support, because one of the biggest challenges sure. that a lot of uh, our community have is, how do you explain to a client that this is not a set and forget thing? Once we hand over the keys, we can't just walk away from this, that there is maintenance and, and support that needs to happen on an ongoing basis, which is going to require them to probably pay us a monthly fee. How do you have that conversation without it being a bit icky and feeling like you're just trying to upsell the client? Yeah, it's difficult. And I think we still struggle with it in places. I think fortunately, most bigger clients now, they just before they even go into project, it's kind of on their list as something that they know that they need. Um, but definitely with with smaller clients, it can be a challenge. I think we we try and structure what we call like a early life support period, effectively just a warranty into any project. And that's very clearly outlined in all of our contracts and statements of work at the beginning as to, um, you know, you've got 30 days or maybe a bit longer, depending on the, the type of project um, after launch. And, and after that, anything that comes up is is something that we'd need to look at under a kind of support agreement of some kind. I think even within that, we try and then split out what we refer to now as, as maintenance as being different to support. Um, so maintenance just being keeping sites up to date, literally plugins, WordPress core, monitoring it for uptime and just kind of generally being there if anything goes wrong is very different to receiving three or four tickets a day and people asking for your help and how do I install this plugin and how do I do X, Y, Z and can you change this for me? So we try and separate out those those two things and, and that helps us, I think, achieve a bit of a cleaner split between just being able to keep a site safe and secure and running smoothly and actually being on hand to, to support a client. Um, it's difficult, I think. Um, yeah, the conversation for me is normally around, you know, digital moves pretty quickly. The internet moves quite fast. Um, uh, it's a conversation that I'd recommend having as early on in the process as, as possible. Mm -hmm. Cause I think again, in, in agency land generally, like expectation management is just the biggest thing for me. And just something I just try and hammer into everybody is that clients don't mind most things if they just kind of feel like it's coming and it's not a shock. Like mm -hmm. if you, they're expecting some design work from you and you tell them at 5 p.m. the day before that it's going to be late, they're going to be pissed off and, and rightly so. But if you knew four days before mm. and you tackled it head on and confidently and politely and said, look, because of X, Y, Z, we're running a bit behind new ETA is the Tuesday or the Wednesday, 95% of the time a client won't mind. Mm. It's when they're, it's when something's dropped on them at the last minute and they then have to go back to their boss at the last minute. And if you just think about that kind of upwards upwards and, and kind of inwards pain that it causes them, um, you kind of get it. But yeah, I think even in the early proposal stages and um, 
talking through during project kickoffs, just giving them an idea that, you know, browsers change, mobile devices change pretty quickly. Um, I think the things that we usually see coming up most often are kind of a site that we built three years ago, no longer working on a version of IE or those kind of things that, um, or, or a latest version of Safari or that kind of thing. And it's just like, we built this site when this this didn't exist or this this device didn't exist or this screen size wasn't a thing and so you know without a magic ball how could we have how could we have kind of catered to this mm. um, and i think when you when you put it like that most clients just get it that we we can't see into the future and we can't guarantee that everything's going to work perfectly for life and and i think also worth feeding into that conversation is just around the fact that obviously wordpress is often powered by lots of plugins and third-party code and that you know we're not building everything completely from scratch ourselves and so if a plugin stops being supported or an author doesn't want to work on it anymore um you know that that is a risk it's it's one of the reasons you use wordpress because it's so kind of extendable but but equally you have to accept that you're kind of putting yourself in the hands of often many different developers and and that things change um i think fortunately yeah, most, most clients understand it when you when you kind of put it like that and you and you have the conversation early on how important is the retainer and the maintenance plan stuff in terms of just managing cash flow and having some recurring revenue in the business? Yeah, so it's something we're definitely trying to build. Um, I think it's probably something that accounts for no more than like 15, 20% of our, our revenue overall at the moment. Um, it's nice to have. We'd love to do more of it. Um, I guess it's it can be challenging to service to some extent. I think if you're an agency that's built to do design and build projects and then you also try and service kind of retain clients who by nature of what the agreement they've got with you think they can just pick up the phone and drop things on you straight away pretty instantly that's that there's kind of like two very separate operational models that you have to have running mm-hmm. side by side um we've actually just this month now got kind of a full-time support and maintenance developer um just working on our support and ticketing system previously it was a case that everything would kind of be triaged by the project managers and that the main project developers would have to pick stuff up which was starting to impact mm. their work on projects and it, project managers were busy delivering projects so we've really tried to now separate out um project delivery from kind of retained support maintenance and we get to the end of a project we have a really clear and concise handover to the support developer and the ideal situation is that anything less than kind of a day or so's work doesn't come anywhere near the project team. It's just dealt with completely by the, the support developer. Um, he does the communication himself. He runs the ticketing himself. He does the work himself. Um, and that should unlock some more efficiency across project managers and, and project developers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not it's not easy to run the two side by side necessarily. But And unfortunately, we've got to a point where it now adds up for us to be able to invest in that full-time support developer and you know we can now feed that back into our own marketing and talk about how we have full-time dedicated resource to, to look after client sites which is great um but yeah definitely want to build up more of that kind of uh retained revenue moving forwards mm. how do you uh, recruit how do you find the right people and then how do you keep them make sure they're in the right seat and keep them playing the same game as the rest of the team. You know, human beings are weird yeah. and unpredictable, aren't they? And every now and then they go rogue. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. That was never part of the agreement. Get back here. How do you how do you yeah. manage that? Especially a team of 15, similar size to what we are these days. How do you, you know, yeah. how do you, does it keep you awake at night? Uh, it does, yeah. It's probably <laughs> kind of new business and marketing and, and managing the team are probably the two areas of focus that take up most of my time. Um, as you know, with, with every new person that you throw into the mix, the, the kind of lines of complexity just cross and multiply. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
yeah i think we've yeah we've, we've i've learned some lessons the hard way over the years um we've definitely had people that haven't stayed with us and that haven't been the right fit um and have had to had to move on uh we've equally got kind of our head of design and head of development head of design was employee number one so that that first project um that we hired people full time off she's actually stayed with us the whole time wow. um is now running the design team effectively um our lead developer was employee number three or four so he's again been with us since more or less the beginning and is now running a development team of five six people um and so yeah I've, i think i've i've been lucky to some extent with them i've also um i think i've i've spent a bit of time really investing in roles and responsibilities and trying to make things crystal clear because i think something that i do as someone that's maybe more entrepreneurial is that being very internally driven i get up out, out of bed in the morning and i just know what i need to do and i i know what i'm responsible for and i know where i need to go whereas i think people like me need to accept and understand sometimes that people need more clarity sometimes in mm. their in their day-to-day jobs they're yeah they're on a salary they're they're coming in to fulfill a role and and sometimes you just need to make that really really crystal clear for them mm. um so everybody has like a an onboarding plan now everybody has like a three-month plan goals and objectives set roles and responsibilities made really clear those are reviewed quite regularly um i think in the on the more technical front or designers and developers generally even project managers any role within an agency i think it's really easy to fall into the trap of hiring people off the back of what they've done before and what they're good at and i know that kind of the whole hiring on values and hiring on cultural fit is something that comes up a lot in nature generally but i think it's really easy with with design and development roles all project managers you can go out oh, they've worked with wordpress before great uh, is that more important than cultural fit arguably not mm. um you look at a design portfolio and go, that's incredible. We really want them to produce that kind of work, but they might not be the right fit for you. Mm. They might be a developer that's, that's got all the skills that you need and done all the projects that you need, but again, they might not be the right fit for you. So trying to feed the values that you have as a business and that it's a process that we went through again quite recently to collectively shape what we think we believe in and, and, and what we what we value as a business into the hiring process. And um, yeah, we 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 start feeding them into job descriptions now. So we literally say on the job descriptions, these are our values and, and try and try and lead the questioning at least initially with, with those, um, uh, when we're, when we're doing interviews, um, initially just to try and avoid that, that trap of, of hiring, uh, off the back of skills rather than ability, uh, rather than cultural fit. Sorry. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like when you first start out, I mean, I started out in my spare bedroom building websites for clients, you know, for 1200 bucks and uh, yeah. on my old Sony laptop, um, values and vision and mission are just like the last thing, the furthest thing on your mind yeah. and probably the least important thing to do at that point because you're just trying to eat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're trying to get the worm out of the dirt for your next meal. Um, as you grow, it's kind of weird that, that you – I spend a lot of my time these days doing kind of what I call woo-woo fluffy talk and talking about <laughs> like the impact that we want to have on the world and the vision yeah. and the values and the mission and the operating principles and – all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's really the only way to keep a group of human beings cohesive and operating yeah. as, a, as a team unit, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's – I still debate this with myself and I think sometimes it's 
it's kind of it's easy to overdo it as as a kind of I think there's so much like management science around vision and values and mm. mission statements and there's so many words that describe the same thing and mm. there's Harvard Business Review perspective on this and there's just there's just like you can look at it from so many different angles and and the difficult thing is that there's not like a right or wrong way of approaching it. That's right. Um, we actually had you know someone that does some some coaching with me um, came in and kind of facilitated a couple of workshops with the team and something they had done before and had done it for clients and um, that was that was really helpful for us um but yeah i think i i felt that when we were like five or six people i was in the room a lot and i was aware of what everybody was doing and i was still kind of managing the team in a very hands-on way mm. um and there was kind of just this energy and sense of direction that everybody was wrapped around and then suddenly when we got to kind of eight nine ten people I kind of just felt, I don't know what it was, but I just felt something kind of dropping in that respect. And I realized that we needed that clarity of, of vision and to define some values and everything so that if somebody knew, as they have done this month, like just hired a, a new designer comes into the team and, and starts to try and get a feel for who we are and what we do. And, and I'm not in the office for, you know, I'm, I'm on the move a lot and all over London and, and traveling around and I might spend two and a half days a week kind of actually sat at my desk in, in, in the office. Um, you need that there because otherwise they're just not going to, you know, their reference point is kind of non-existent. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, I last Christmas I actually built, which is something I, I'd highly recommend to everyone. And something I'm really happy with is, um, like an internal company knowledge base. So mm. it was just set up using like a, I think it was like hero themes or one mm. of the existing kind of knowledge base templates. And mm. I built it over Christmas last year and, um, I just try and feed as much stuff into there in writing as possible because, you know, it might just be like a, a two line post about something, but there's everything from like who to contact if the internet doesn't work to, you know, how you get on the internet to disciplinary policies to kind of everything you can think of is, is kind of in there. Mm. And actually it's just removed so much time of people asking questions and looking into things and researching things. You can just send them a link to the knowledge base or say, have a search on the knowledge base and, and there's stuff there. So we feed all of the, the kind of vision and values type stuff into the knowledge base too so that there's kind of one central hub for people to consume oh, that stuff. Oh, it's funny you mention that. I've been banging on about the need for an intranet here so long. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Slack. I've just removed myself from yeah. our team, Asana, workspace, because it was so freaking noisy I couldn't get anything done. So I've just said to everyone, don't yeah. assign anything to me in Asana. If you need me to do anything, come and talk to me. You ring me or walk in and have a yeah. chat. Uh, or ping me on Slack, um, and I've been saying we need this we need this intranet because I need somewhere to basically communicate with the team. Bit of pushback mm -hmm. from the team because they're like well, we don't want to log in somewhere else where it's just going to be tumbleweeds. And interestingly, yeah. which I get, I mean, who needs another login? Interestingly, recently I installed the Hero Themes Knowledge Base plugin on okay. a sandbox environment, and I'm like, huh, I wonder if I can just use this to basically get all the shit that's in my head out, document it. Mm. This is how you do this, how you do this, how you do this, how you do this, but also start to feed in some of that cultural stuff. And I kind yeah. of am toying around with the idea of just open sourcing it and making it public, obviously protecting any kind of sensitive data like passwords or anything, um, yeah. but just open sourcing it and going, well, this is how we run the business. And um, so it's interesting that you say that you're using a knowledge base for that because that's kind of where I'm headed as well. Yeah, I think it's great. It's, it's one of those things that it's, it's, I guess it's like higher value content. People only go there and log in if they need something and they need an answer to a question. So when I don't feel like we're imposing like another tool that people have to spend all their time in or use or communicate through. There's no, you know, we've got a form where people can submit a post if they want to and they can contribute if they feel like they want to write an article. But otherwise, it's relatively light touch. It's fairly frictionless. It doesn't, doesn't take up people's time. It's just they know it's there if they, if they need to find a, yeah. an answer to a question. Yeah. 
Awesome. Love it. Um, hey, I'm respectful of your time and also all our listeners, Tom. This is a, a particularly long episode for us uh, nowadays, but, it's, but I could just keep doing this because I'm having such a great time and I'm getting so much value. And it's just kind of reaffirming a lot of the stuff that, that I've, that, you know, that I sort of know and understand about growing an agency anyway. So it's, it's great to hear you talk about your journey. Um, if you could go back in time, how long have you been running the agency now? Um, so as a proper agency, it's probably about four years. Okay. Um, it's a bit of a grey area as to when it went from me and some help to a proper agency, but I think it was uh, so. It was February 2015 when we first hired those two people off the back of that project. So okay. it's, that's kind of yeah, three and a half years or so. Wow. Um, so if you could go back to 19 year old Alex and give him yeah. some advice, <laughs> what would it be? Oh, it's a big question. It is. Um, no pressure. I think I think probably just back yourself a bit more than I even did. Um, I think I. I think I had a pretty clear idea of, I don't know, I toy between like feeling like I had no idea where I was going, but equally having a clear idea at the same time. It's kind of hard to, hard to put into words, but I think I, yeah, I, I had a, I had a vision for something that I wanted to build and I, you know, I, I created a small office space when I had no employees and, and there was all these things that I was doing that I kind of, I don't know why I was doing them at the time. And again, I wish I'd kind of kept a bit of a log or diary of mm. why I was making those decisions, but I did them and they set me up to, to kind of do the right thing. I think in the middle of all of that, I ended up dropping out of university. So I did one year at university and then mm. dropped out at the end of my first year. And like six months after that, we won the university of London as a, as a client. And <laughs> so I've had, and by no, no connection of like me, I mean, being there or anything else, just coldly through the website. And so I've had all these, and I've had a number of these kind of quite weird, but um, they almost feel like a, a torch in the ground that, kind of saying you're heading in the right direction, keep going that way, kind of moments where, yeah, kind of weird coincidences that one thing's led to another. Um, so, yeah, I think just have the confidence to go and keep pushing. I think particularly when people are young, there's, there is so little to, to lose. Um, and I think I, I come across so many people that are like, oh, I, I want to do this, but I just want a bit more experience or mm. I just want to expand my network a little bit more. I just want to have a few more connections. It's just mm. like... The amount that you can do and learn and how much you can thrive when you actually have no choice but to do so Correct. is is incredible. Yeah. Um, like I don't get any pleasure out of reading about tax returns or, but like when you're in the moment and you receive that horrible brown envelope from mm. HMRC, which is like our inland revenue yeah. here in the UK. And they've got this famous brown, brown envelopes that make everybody kind of heart sink when they see them. Um, you know, you, like you, you learn that stuff because you have to, like you have no choice. Yeah, um, that's right. And it's amazing how receptive the human mind is to, to learning and uh, developing when you have to, or you're really passionate about doing something yeah. as opposed to like sitting in an accountancy class at a, a college and reading a textbook that is really dull and that you don't enjoy. Yeah. hundred percent. That feeling of like not knowing what you're doing, but also kind of knowing where you're going or knowing what you're doing uh, is, is, is understanding that you've got a vision and knowing where you want to go, but also realizing that you don't necessarily know how you're going to get there, but that's okay yeah. because you'll figure that out. And that's what you're talking about. If you, you know, I'm yeah. a, I'm a big fan of burning the ships, like jump off the cliff and build the plane on the way down as Reid Hoffman from LinkedIn says, you, you, human yeah. beings are very resourceful and very resilient. I think it's in our DNA. We're hardwired to survive. So put yourself in a corner, you'll find a way out and you'll learn yeah. so much about yourself in the process of getting out of that pickle that you'll come Definitely. out of it a stronger person. Yeah, agree 100%. Yeah. Um, final question, I which I have to ask before I let you go. Sure. Uh, Gutenberg, is it a thing, do you think? 
Like you know, I'm I'm a, so I've got to say I'm a skeptic at the moment. Uh, we are, you know, look, we're huge fans of the page builder here. Um, but Gutenberg, yeah. everyone's telling me that Gutenberg is going to be the thing. And you know, what's your what's your take on it? Yeah, so I have to be careful what I see because I have some. <laughs> I think I have some strong views here. But um, uh, so we we always use advanced custom fields, and we have kind of a bit of a framework in which we build kind of modular layouts similar to kind of a page builder but mm-hmm. kind of i guess using custom fields yep. um i think that gutenberg is extremely exciting as a as a vision um but i don't think it's fit for purpose yet mm. um and that's no disrespect to all the people that have been working super hard on getting it to where it is but i just to be honest don't understand why there's this pressure to force something upon millions of users into a 5.00 version number just for the sake of doing so to some extent. Mm. Um, if you look at the, yeah, even that call to action to kind of install Gutenberg mm. um, in 4.9.8 was mm. like, in my opinion, like a quite, quite a bold move for something mm. that I don't think is, has had the, the kind of amount of user testing and research done on it that it really should have done at this point. And mm. I think that's reflected in a lot of the reviews on on the, the kind of plugin repo, um, and a lot of the feedback coming in, and also the, the amount of people that have installed the classic editor straight away um, in the tens of thousands within like 24 hours of, yeah. of 4.9.8 coming out. Um, I think it's interesting. We're I think we're in a really interesting time where quite clearly WordPress.org and an automatic view. Squarespace, Wix, and similar as competitors, and that Gutenberg for me is really a, a sign that they're looking to compete with those, and that mm. their focus of interest is the the mass market, and it's WordPress.com, and it's ten dollars a month or whatever it is to, to have a site on there. And yeah. um, I I think that that's where they obviously see their future. Mm. Um, I think from talking to some VIP partner agencies. You know, they felt that things have been relatively slow there. Code reviews take a long time. That developers are pretty busy. It just feels as though that like quite a clear focus for automatic is mm. on WordPress.com and, yeah. and the mass market. <clears throat> and um, you know, there's they have they've never really focused that much energy on the enterprise end of the scale. They've got WordPress VIP, but there's I don't know like eight, ten global VIP partners. Yeah. No one's really been added to that list in I don't know how many years. It's a pretty kind of niche specialist community that, you know, they're, they're pretty shut off, I think, from everybody else. Yeah. Mm. Now there's this kind of gap where there's a kind of middle of the road where there's plenty of big enough businesses wanting to use WordPress. Mm. They can't be serviced by WordPress.com and Automatic. They're too small to be serviced by VIP partners. And suddenly there's good small to medium agencies such as ourselves mm. sat in the middle. Um, and I actually think that there's a huge opportunity for, for businesses like WP Engine, who we host a lot of our stuff with, mm-hmm. um, to be filling that that middle of the road because I think they they uh, you know they they're very commercially driven in a way that Automatic hasn't been at the enterprise end of the scale. Um, they're doing conferences, they're doing events, they're building what they're referring to as an experience platform. So they're adding to just hosting, um, they're connecting agencies and brands together. All this stuff that I think Automatic has missed a trick on for a while now mm. they're doing and i really think that they have the potential to fill this gap um whilst automatic continue to focus on on the arguably the, the smaller end of the market mm. I, I just think my experience of gutenberg is that it, it's not ready it's relatively yeah. buggy um it's not fit to be rolled out to an enterprise grade kind of 
client. Um, I think the, the vision is great and I think it has the potential to be really strong. In the first instance, it's definitely a post editor rather than a page editor. And I think mm-hmm. there's a massively important difference between the two there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the idea for a lot of our clients that already struggle enough with like publishing workflows and governance, and they've got a global team of 10 content producers that someone can just like go into a website and just drag and drop stuff in all directions. Yeah. It's like it's scary to them. Yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> like we spend like sometimes tens of thousands of pounds just doing user research and strategic work and discovering definition to really strategically map out like how a page is designed and created and the call to actions and the idea that day one digital marketing exec at X company just clicks a button and the fonts change or whatever. So there's, there's this element of, of control that's maybe there's too much there and how do we look to, to tighten that up if it mm. does become a page builder in the future. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of questions right now. I think our view is that um, we install the classic editor, we keep building sites as, as we have done up until this point. Um, but at the same time, we, we keep looking at Gutenberg and keeping a close eye on it and, and seeing how we can begin to implement it when, when the time is right, basically. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, I'm in complete agreement with you. Uh, we I saw the signs when Automatic uh, purchased WooCommerce. I thought yeah. that was a, an absolute play to go after the consumer market and go right up against Shopify, um, mm-hmm. which I think is you know is, is part of their strategy. Uh, we, I mean, part of the, our business is the video user manuals plugin, so we make a bunch of video tutorials which teach the end user how to make word, how to use WordPress. We're waiting to make the Gutenberg videos. We can't make them yet because mm-hmm. every time we go to make them, things break and it's not quite you know exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. not quite right yet. Um, and I think you know Matt Mullenweg did say uh, WordCamp Europe. I think it was two thousand and maybe. I don't know, 13 perhaps, I, my memory. I was there, but it's been, it's been a while and I've had a kid since then, so <laughs> I'm losing sleep. Um, uh, he did say that, uh, you know, his vision for WordPress is to, to, is to democratise development as much as democratise publishing and so that he imagines that WordPress will become a development application development framework uh, as much as a publishing tool. And I kind of feel like I agree with you that the focus really is on the consumer market and making it a publishing tool uh, and that Gutenberg, I think, is designed to go up against Squarespace and Wix and those drag and drop um, editors. Um, But I think, uh, I mean, I'm still of the belief that if we built a website using something, we have built plenty of websites using ACF and doing exactly what you talk about, like a back end where you can drag and drop sections around. But even if you build a website with one of the more common page builders like Beaver Builder or Elementor, which for you and I are very easy to use because we understand the uh, technology behind it, you put that in front of a client that's never used WordPress before and there is still a huge learning curve compared to a Wix or a Squarespace. So um, I I still think there is this kind of dance that Automatic and WordPress are doing between the consumer market and the development and the developer um, uh, community. Um, And I think I agree with you. I think the the correct thing to say at at this time is that it is very interesting times and it will be interesting to see (laughs) what happens over the next few years. Definitely. I think on your point around democratizing development, I think that's part why there's been somewhat of a backlash from the community is that your classic WordPress developer doesn't necessarily have really strong JavaScript framework skills in their mm-hmm. in their toolbox. And mm-hmm. when you suddenly throw something like React into the mix, it's like that's that's it's on a basic level, it's not. I don't think you could describe it as easy to build a custom block in Gutenberg, mm-hmm. um, and it's certainly not very straightforward for the majority of typical WordPress developers who have had very kind of PHP and SQL based mm. kind of skill sets and, and backgrounds. Um, so that's, I think that's part of the frustration is that it seems like a, 
a move away from democratization and it's actually setting the the barrier to entry higher than it has been previously on the on the development front it's only a matter of time isn't it before before uh, and it's probably already in development uh and it may already be be on the market i just haven't seen it yet but it's only a matter of time before someone comes out with like a, a gui for a drag and drop block generator for for uh, for Gutenberg, you know, like with some controls on the front end and it spits out the JavaScript for you. I mean, my friend Aaron Rutley wrote a plugin for advanced custom fields at one point where you basically would just, just punch in your config and it would uh, it, write the PHP page template for you with the ACF custom fields all in place. So you don't even have to do that. Uh, it's only a matter of time before there's a whole marketplace around the Gutenberg thing that opens up, I imagine. I think so, yeah. I think I've seen a couple of similar kind of places where you can find blocks and snippets. And we've actually, I mean, we've built a similar thing where we can use tags in uh, kind of HTML and CSS and they turn into ACF fields. And mm. um, our lead developer has also been looking at whether we can turn ACF fields into a Goomba block. And mm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of yeah possibilities for how it could be streamlined, but um yeah. yeah, time will tell. Time will tell, exactly. Alex Price, this has been a refreshingly uh, exciting interview for me and uh, I didn't know much about you when uh, you came across my desk and it's been fascinating getting to know a little bit about you and doing the research and having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you getting up early in the, the UK to be on the show. No problem at all. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Troy. Awesome. Keep in touch. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as I did. I did tell you it was a bit of a long one and it was full of value. I could have kept chatting with Alex for quite some time. Uh, I must say, I didn't know much about Alex or 93 Digital when he came across my desk. He just reached out and said, hey, I've been following you guys for a while. I think I've got something to contribute. I'd love to be on the show. And turns out he was right. He has plenty to contribute. I hope you learned something and enjoyed that episode. If you like the show, please subscribe at iTunes, wpelevation.com slash iTunes will get you there. Leave us a rating and a review and share it with your friends. It really does help us get the podcast in front of a wider audience. You can also find us on Stitcher at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher and all the usual social media outlets as well. I look forward to speaking with you again on the WP Elevation podcast very soon. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Go Elevate.